ahead and start. Um, we've got Jonathan Laird here uh, from all the way from Scotland, right, John? Yeah, Scotland. So northeast of Scotland, um, little town called Turriff, um, middle of nowhere. So 40, 40 odd miles west, northwest of Aberdeen. Okay. I'm going to like nod and pretend like I know where that is. Um, <laughs> I still haven't been to the UK, eh? Like apparently it's cold, when you... It's cold, mate. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Well, I'm in Wisconsin. I think we got you beat. But okay, when, when we're uh, when you when Australians finish high school, it's pretty much a rite of passage. You finish high school, you go over there, you make a fool of yourself in the UK. But I, I ended up going to the states instead, and I, I still haven't made it over to the UK. But so I um I read an article on LinkedIn that John wrote. Oh, is it okay to call you John, Jonathan? Jonathan's my name. My mother will correct you to Jonathan, but she's she's not here, so it's jo Johnny to my friends. I'll slide it in. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was I was looking on LinkedIn. I saw this article that Jonathan wrote about being a prescribing pharmacist um, in uh, in Scotland NHS, as I understand it, and he gave a sort of balanced approach. Whereas in the, in Australia, we're kind of we see the AMA fighting with the uh, Australian Pharmacy Guild and about you know the dangers of having prescribing pharmacists and they need to go back to school and all this good stuff and john actually is a prescribing pharmacist with it, what it sounds like and we'll get into this in a little bit uh very little in the way of um in the way of precaution from what it sounds like and or or limitations i guess and john gives a really balanced sort of thing i say you know yeah it could be risky uh, it's just lucky that we're very precautious, but, you know, it, it could be done different. So I reached out to John. John was like, yeah, you know, let's have a yarn. And so here we are. So thanks for, uh, thanks for Pleasure, setting this yeah. up, John. I appreciate it. No, I do. I, I, and I, I recognize the article you mentioned. And, yeah, it's uh, – so I think I, – I, I, I know there's a bit – well, I've heard through the through the ether that there's a bit of a bit of a tete-a-tete -tete going on in Australia um, yeah. between, uh, between our uh, – uh, medical colleagues and so on and so forth. I think just because you can doesn't mean you should in prescribing. Um, and you referred to the fact that that you know independent prescribing in this country for allied health professionals. Yeah, sure, it is open ended. You you can. I mean, I can prescribe basically anything. There's a small list of exceptional um, items that I'm not allowed to prescribe, but. But in, on the whole, most prescription-only medicines, including control drugs, can be prescribed now. That's just amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. You're like this scary Scottish face that Tony Bartone sees in his nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> I need to meet Tony. I need to meet him. Because it's, it, it's just – it goes back to what I said there now. So it's, it, it's just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Yeah. It was quite, I mean, for pharmacists in this country, it was a completely momentous decision to allow us to be initially supplementary prescribers and then independent prescribers. So I don't know if, I don't know if you, all your listeners will be familiar with, with what a supplementary prescriber is. No, go into it, please. So basically, that's how prescribing started So uh, with pharmacists. So a supplementary prescriber is where you enter into a kind of like a partnership agreement with, uh, with a, a, a medical 
prescriber. So, you know, let's say I was managing a cohort of asthmatics, you know, that that uh, care plan that you agree with the medical prescriber to be a supplementary prescriber would have various parameters. So you might say um, if if one of your patients needs more than two courses of oral steroids per year, then the pharmacist out. That's no longer within your remit, for example. And there's various other, you know, it's really up to the, it's an agreement between the medical prescriber and the supplementary prescriber as to as to how far that agreement goes, or mm -hmm. indeed conversely, how limited it is. But what they found was, well, my opinion on that was basically that that was a faff. Um, and then and then basically independent prescribing came in now the reason i wrote that article and my my concern in the area of 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 independent prescribing is that not that things are moving too fast but that some of the systems and procedures that are really commonplace in the medical profession just maybe aren't quite there yet for us so i'm thinking of you know, like things like competence frameworks, um, yeah. pharmacists, pharmacists being okay with, with quite undifferentiated risk. We're we're quite. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but we're quite protocol driven. Um, and when you're a prescriber, sure you can stick to protocols to a to a degree, but you at the end of the day you have to decide. Look, am I going to prescribe or not? And that often that's not a kind of certain decision you have to make that decision and 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 knowingly make that decision and understand that you may have to justify that decision yeah so um yeah so part of that article was was really my concern that we need to do a lot more work collectively as a profession in this country to kind of make sure we are justifying and proving our competence um yeah yep and it might it might be interesting for your Australia Australian listeners to understand that um, uh, there's been a lot of political pressure in in England, Wales, and Scotland, and actually Northern Ireland now, so across the UK, to push pharmacists to be prescribers and and to work more closely in in the multidisciplinary team and so on and so forth, and that's absolutely brilliant. But yeah. my point again is, let's just pause, take it easy. Take yeah. it easy. Let's just, if we're going to do this, we've got to do it right. We've, we've got a plan for the worst case scenario. Um, and I think the big thing that, that, that I keep sort of advocating for is, is to make sure that every independent pharmacist prescriber is at the very least consciously incompetent. Because right, right. If you're unconsciously incompetent, we've we've got big problems then. So, the thing I got, got a couple questions with that because um, I'm looking into uh, the the practice. Uh, what is it? Collaborative practice agreements in the states and and how that came to be. Because you know the reason for all of this, of course, is that there's too much pressure on the GPs and there's not enough availability. So I'm guessing it's a similar case where you're at too. Yeah. Absolutely, that's what's driving right. it. Yeah. Yeah. So in the states, I think it was '95 when uh, they got the CPAs going, where it sounds similar to what you guys, but with a, a, in a sort of restricted level to only certain prescriptions. Um, 
And then, then you guys, you guys had a big uh, push politically, and now we're kind of getting uh, the same sort of, you know, there's a battle going on in Australia. And I'm like, well, you know, how does it play out? Um, so this is why I started going down this rabbit hole. So uh, in, in where you're at in Scotland, were there was there a big pushback from the GPs that had to that was had had to be overcome that were speaking about the potential threats that you're talking about right now? So I should caveat my answer by saying I'm N equals one, although I do run a, a UK pharmacy publication. So I've got I've got pretty good insight into the market. Yeah. The broad the honestly, the broad answer is is no. Um and and I think I think uh, you know the the Danish uh, economist Martha Bosrop said necessity is the mother of invention and, and this really is a this move for allied health professionals to be prescribers and take on more advanced roles it's really a necessity now it's not it's all the choice has almost been taken away from medical colleagues right now, now the the demographics of that especially the GP population is that is that a lot of them are retiring so perhaps publicly they're saying nothing and 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 actually voting with their feet but there's to be honest there's been a lot less sort of pushback than than uh than i would have australia thought. at least less pushback oh, than australia yeah. at least yeah it hasn't the touch paper hasn't let i think i think maybe i could foresee some tension where uh, maybe where roles aren't defined properly you know I don't think we really know what the role is and if we're talking about general practice I'm not sure we really understand what the role is yet so there mm. could be some tension there right. um, but but it's 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 not anything like I mean it's not been played out in public like it is in Australia so um, right so I'm quite, I'm quite grateful for that because obviously pharmacists get a chance to show you know how risk to be honest how risk averse they are we're really the problem with pharmacists is getting them to pull the trigger and write prescriptions it's not actually that they'll go daft um, hey mate i'm in a sales training company you don't got to tell me <laughs> <laughs> now it's, it's something i've really come to appreciate a lot about pharmacists i think that sort of um moral uh bottleneck i, I want to call it in terms of sales right um, it's just a really amazing, perfect thing, right? It's a, uh, and I think it speaks like there's a company in Australia with uh, a brand called Ethical Nutrients, which I just I come to appreciate every like every year so much more. Like that's brilliant marketing to pharmacists, like <laughs> to call your company ethical to a people who are just so ethically motivated is is just phenomenal. Mm. So yeah, I'm I'm very appreciative of that, and it sounds like we should be happy to have. Uh, Tony Bartone lighting his hair on fire every five minutes from what sounds of what you're saying. I think he's got a point, you know, and I, yeah. I understand, like I understand where he's coming from. Um, but, but I'd probably stand up all day and argue with him that, that pharmacists are, are, um, you know, have all the skills that, you know, that maybe not, maybe not the enough training or the, or the right type of training collectively yet. But there are certainly individuals that are practicing that are very safe. Um, well, this to scale it back a little bit, like the policies paper that that the Pharmacy Guild of Australia released. That's the the, the two gods that are battling are the AMA, the Australian Medical Association, and the Australian Pharmacy Guild. Um, the guild is saying that we want to start small 
with OCPs, uh, oral, contracept oral contraceptive pills, and more vaccines. Like that's how they're like, that's it. We want to start there, see how we go, and then try and expand it that. And the AMA is, you know, is scared uh, because I think, you know, I think there's a funding thing happening too that um, even though the, the system is overwhelmed, um, the doctors are, are thinking that their jobs are being taken away to the point. But now it's to the point where the AMA recently are saying, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it's only a pharmacist can own a pharmacy in Australia. And so they're like, you know, maybe a GP can own a pharmacy. But I don't think that really, or no, as well, a, a GP can also buy a pharmacy. But I don't really think that tackles the problem. First, there's not going to be that many doctors that are going to buy pharmacies to solve the problem. And secondly, there's a lot of pharmacists that own a building and work in tangent with a doctor, with a GP, right? So they already work in conjunction. There's not, it's not that much terms of introducing extra competition. We certainly don't want the sort of drive-through CVS Walgreens model that the U.S. has either. So yeah. it's it is it's a tricky it's a tricky spot. Well, it's, but it's a good point you make, Tyson. I think there's two issues there. So there's the business side and there's the professional side. So hitherto, I've been really talking quite clearly about kind of the the professional side of things and yeah. you know the development of competence and all the rest of it. Now, one thing that I get nervous about is when, you know, let's take an example. So independent prescribing pharmacist runs, owns and runs a community pharmacy in the UK and they run a private on the day minor illness, minor illness clinic. Now, that for me is problematic if the payment is based on the fact that they have to basically sell something, you know, and that, that would right. fly in. The, so, so you take your, you know, your, your viral upper respiratory tract infection, which you'll get hundreds of at this time of year, and you'll be mm. able to give access and people will get, get to you quicker than they will the doctor and, and you'll diagnose lots of viral RTs. And the trouble is, with your model where you have to basically write a prescription and sell an antibiotic, for example, to treat that um, when there's no need for an antibiotic, it creates this conflict of interest. Um, and that, that for me is what we need to guard against. Um, however, in Scotland, um, where the grass is green, the sky is bluer. <laughs> we've got the most, I mean, honestly, we've your mate Tony needs to come over here and speak to um, a couple of people, Rosemary Parr and Harry McQuillan uh, and a few other guys on the ground because they are completely sensible people. They're mm. very organized, very forward thinking with vision, but they're also very cautious. Yeah. Um, and one of the th one of the ways they are proposing to set up payment for community pharmacy is payment by consultation. Now we've which I think is excellent. We've already got um, a minor ailments scheme in Scotland, which is a national scheme, um, and and how that's paid is registration based. So if you think about my first example with the viral arty, the opposite is true. So because because a pharma a pharmacy's paid 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 uh, to build registrations, there's actually a little bit of a disincentive to actually pull the trigger and prescribe. Mm. So I, I can I can understand, I really can understand the concerns and I don't think they should just be batted away. Um, 
I think they need to be faced into. But what I would argue strongly with is that there's absolutely ways around these things. Right. Um, and, and there's ways to do these things very appropriately. So if you could wave, wave a magic wand, Jonathan, you'd still have prescribing pharmacists, but you'd have it um, a lot more um, as conservative uh, adoption. What would you do? Like, how would you make it? Like, does the, the proposals that the Guild is putting forward with OCPs and uh, vaccines, which we're already doing, um, um, would that be a, a place to start? I mean, I'm not a health economist, so maybe I'm talking absolute rubbish, but it just it feels like you're not going to get the the kind of population level return on that. Mm. Um, it's kind of a case of, you know, you got to You got to If you're going to do it, do it. Um, right. The, the thing is, if you if you if you go all in and do it as they are in Scotland, the procedures and policies and practices around the training and development of the pharmacists will follow. And they are absolutely following. Um, one such example is that there's a, um, various competence frameworks that pharmacists now, I mean, this was an, a, quite an alien concept for pharmacists to have to demonstrate their competence to do various things, really, mm. um, especially when working in community pharmacy. But that is absolutely changing. So, 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 so now if you don't demonstrate competence and you're an independent prescriber, well, you're geez, a, an, an Aussie cricketing term, you're on a bit of a sticky wicket, aren't you, you know? Um, mm. Or you could be, potentially. If you delve into prescribing in a certain area and, and you don't have that training and documented supervision under your belt, then then you, you could run into trouble. So so my view would be, if I was starting at fresh, I would go, I would look very carefully at, the, and we're talking community pharmacy here, are we? Yeah. Yeah, so I would go. I would, I would look very carefully at the conflict of interest of um, you know supplying, prescribing, and dispensing on the same premises. Although that's not without precedent, there are there've been dispensing practices in the UK for years. So um, I, I wonder are there dispensing practices in the outback in Australia? I would suggest there are. You telling me that a doctor over there has never prescribed and supplied his own drugs? Uh, I think like I can't speak for the for the GP side too much, but obviously they they have to at some capacity. But you know we really just got the S two and uh, the schedule for the S twos and S threes um, for some of the more benign things that that could be abused. Um, so um, See, now that, that, speaking, that, sorry, go ahead. No, no, carry on, interrupted. Carry on. So like when it comes to like. There are potential risks. That's that's why I reached out to you. There's potential risks. What have been the repercussions for such a, you know, you guys have gone two feet in. Um, what what have been the repercussions in terms of, uh, you know, patients being injured? Well, as far as I know, um, there haven't been any high-profile test cases. However um there there i would be completely surprised if there haven't been near misses or or incidents that have happened um with with these uh, pharmacists piling into gp practice and so on and so forth in the uk however I, I think it's a real it's a cracker of a question tyson and that is that you know the big sort of question in my mind is some per pharmacist 
in the UK is going to have to, and, and obviously some per patient is possibly going to fall foul of this, you know, um, that per pharmacist is going to be a test case. Mm. And and things like, you know, documentation, competence to back up their practice, the interplay between them and the rest of the multidisciplinary team, and, and including the doctor, I suspect will all be called into question when that case comes. Um, mm. I'm currently not aware of that at the moment, but unfortunately, the only way your question can be answered, I think, is is through the courts. And um, I just hope when when something does happen, then um, then that that person will be well covered and so on and so forth. But I think the context to that is, you know, the bigger picture view of that is that doctors get it wrong all the time, you know. Mm. Um, so. We, we just don't know. That's why we have pharmacists. Well, yeah, yeah, and that goes back to my previous point. Pharmacists right. are traditionally, you know, we're like traditionally, the, to use a soccer analogy, we're like the, the goalkeepers right. in, 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 in medicine. So I think that's why we're so risk averse. That's always what's in my head as a pharmacist. It's like, right, don't miss anything, don't miss anything, don't miss it. So it's quite hard for a goalie to go into midfield and then, and then you know, Start to start think about kicking away. Yeah. yeah, start like, I mean, you might take the odd penalty or something, but you, you're not <laughs> going to be a striker, are you? You know, so, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, that is a really good question, and it's something that's on my mind a lot. Um, yeah, well, I think that's the question that if it's, I think uh, politically and and with the media today, uh, if if you had a really strong GP body. Uh, in the UK pushing against it, then it would be highly publicized every 15 minutes to say what an awful thing it is. Because I think you've made a really good point. They do have a point. Amy and, and Tony Bartone has a point. It still, it still completely omits the, uh, from my experience and what you're telling me about, uh, the natural uh, personality and the and the culture of pharmacy to be very, very precautious and play that goalkeeper role. So to think that, you know, the, the sky is falling as soon as we have prescribing pharmacists is silly. However, it is what I see us doing in Australia is completely um, delegitimizing their fears. And what I wanted to do is sort of say, okay, well, let's bring these fears out. Let's, let's talk about what the potential problems are and really tackle them so that we can move forward so that we can bring up, you know, warts and all and have a look at what the threats are. So by, by getting an idea as to, you know, I'll have to look it up. I'll just research it after we do this interview. Um, I have to look up, you know, the level of, um, I guess, what do you call it? The, uh, what's the, uh, not, not iatrogenic. Um, well, I guess the, 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 the problems with prescribing from pharmacists since its inception. How long has it been going on in, in the UK? Good question. Oh, okay. You've been doing it four years, right? You've been doing it four years? Uh, almost five, yeah. Um, mm. I could check. I think it was, was it 2002 or three, perhaps? Um, okay. 15 odd years. Um, All right. So it's, it's relatively recent. Yeah, yeah so it... it to, to actually paint a picture of what it would look like. Like there would be an increase in, I guess, uh, problematic prescribing. There would be an increase in 
liability for the pharmacists in terms of insurance and, and times that they have to defend themselves in court. Um, not sure what kind of problem it is over there, but you know, we've really got to take a real deep look at it and, and check it out instead of saying that the AMA's fears are uh, illegitimate. So, I think, I mean, is it, you know, is it, is it their choice? Um, can, can they stop it? I mean, what if, what if pharmacists do a better job in terms of certain aspects of the care of patients, you know, um, you know, the, the demographics and the, and the nature of polypharmacy is absolutely in favor of, of a pharmaceutical sort of skew to how you, how you manage a patient, you know? So mm. I don't know, I would, I guess in, in a not very combative way, I would ask the, the, the GPs, what are they scared of really? Um, you know, if, if they want excellent care and pharmaceutical care for their patients, then surely they should be welcoming all the help they could get. Otherwise, it's a, it feels a bit like a protectionist piece to me. Um, yeah, I think you're not far off there, mate, because I think it's more about, you know, to be crass and perhaps incorrect, you know, at the risk of being completely wrong. I think it's more about a cash grab. Um, looked at their, uh, I've looked at their suggestions for the, you know, their pre-budget suggestions and, you know, there's like, of course, it's a it's a it's a budget suggestions from a from a body that wants more money. So, I think they're really worried about losing the capacity of the GPs, whereas the GPs can't see as many people as they need to. So, yeah. I, I don't think the fears are illegitimate, but I think, I mean, yeah, I I think their reaction to it is hysterical. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't investigate the actual risks, which I think pharmacy is absolutely brilliant at like that's what you guys do <laughs> the, other, the other in the spirit of um turning myself from a goalkeeper into a striker i think the other thing pharmacists in, in australia should bear in mind is that and this is another thing that concerns me i think we're completely underselling ourselves in the uk so there's a whole load of non-prescribing pharmacists who suddenly find themselves in prescribing pharmacist roles there's been a big move from community pharmacy to general practice um and the trouble with that is the level of responsibility is a good few fold higher in general practice now the trouble is pharmacists have been desperate to do stuff like stuff for years you know blood pressure checks we've been on the periphery we've always been on the outside in community and now they've got a chance to get into gp pharmacists they no longer have to apologize for delivering excellent pharmaceutical care happy days and then and then they get like four to six months in and they think bugger i'm taking massive responsibility here <laughs> similar similar in many case, cases to my medical colleagues i'm i'm under the direct influence of medical colleagues and and actually i'm not getting paid anymore and and i don't wish that to sound cynical but i just think i just yeah to, it kind of answers your previous question about you know if I was doing it again, I would I would absolutely get pharmacists to collectively stand their ground and, and be like, no, this is what we can do and this is what it's going to cost. Right. Off we go. <laughs> so, in terms of, so in terms of a consulting uh, fee that they should get paid for, for doing a consult, just like a GP would? Is that what you mean? No, I wouldn't say it's as much as a GP, but I think... I no, but just like in the same capacity, like right now we do consults all the time. We, 
and more consults, like is three times as many uh, consults with a pharmacist versus a GP in Australia. So, but yeah, there's no compensation for it unless that something's purchased. Absolutely, yeah. The funding mm. model has to change, and again, if we're back to community, yeah, definitely has to change. Right. So speaking about the patient, um, what has been like the increase or the decrease in the experience for the patient uh, from from a prescribing pharmacist perspective? Um, I would need to put you in contact with some colleagues who have done research in that area. But yeah, in my, in my own experience for the for the purpose of this interview, we did in my practice. I did um, feedback on my practice and and on the other pharmacists that work there, and it was all like really positive um very well received um so some people will raise an eyebrow if they have to see a doc uh, see a pharmacist instead of a a doctor but th i think that's just fear of the unknown and, mm. and actually on a number of occasions i've i've had people who, who have asked to see me instead of a doctor oh mm -hmm. that, that's what tony's afraid of us us me being a striker tony <laughs> Okay, and I need, um, I, need, I need to talk to your mate Tony. <laughs> I, I'm scared of him. He's crazy. I'm, no, sure he's, I'm sure he's a nice guy. No, I mean he's. It, to be fair, he's. Uh, I'm reading his media releases, and he's kind of. It's this isn't new. Like the AMA and the Guild have been fighting forever, like forever, and everything that pharmacists do is a money grab because we, you know. We have to, well, I say we, I'm not a pharmacist, but um, it's just the same thing. Like, because pharmacists have to straddle that area between retail and healthcare, which it, it's just like, it's to me, it's like being a dad and um, doing the thing, right thing by your kids and having them hate you for it. Like, it's the same thing. It's, um, they have to straddle retail and healthcare and because they do that and, and they've got this amazing ethical concern that really helps it to be um, a good practice. But they continually get called money grabbers or, you know, bottle stickers and, and, um, and everything looks like a cash grab, which is terrible and inaccurate. Um, but at the same time, the AMA has got 27 um, requests for new money from for the pre-budget submission so it's yeah i think i think i'm always i'm always i don't know the australian situation so this is probably a highly inflammatory comment but i always get get quite nervous in in well in medicine and pharmacy and business and life when when folk get too high up on their moral high horse because you know stuff costs money services yeah. cost money yeah. that money has to come from somewhere it either has to come from government through taxes uh, redistributed or it has to come from the consumer or the patient so look yeah. you know we're all in it together um my if i was taking a, a helicopter view of the thing my, my sort of helicopter view would be look much better to to understand how the landscape's changing how demographics are changing how many more people are on many more medicines and actually make use of the pharmacist skills um and and to be honest, cut a deal, um, right? Rather than rather than constantly be bashing bashing against each other, because there's plenty of work for everyone. Um, I think, and uh, I, I think done right uh, as it has been in Scotland, um, it, there, there's a real win-win there. To be honest, 
So you would agree with the way that Scotland has rolled this out. You like the way, but you think it's it's too much too fast, too much too soon, or you you would do it pretty much exactly the same again if you if you were the god of the uh, who could make the well, you know, I'm just you, you you could see you can see everything that can go right or wrong because you're in the thick of it. So if if it could be done perfectly, how would Jonathan Laird have it happen? Well, I think. I think the vision and the leadership around it has been like it's not a, it's not too much to say world leading actually mm. there was a there was a document published here called prescription for excellence and one of the statements in that said that every pharmacist in Scotland should be an independent prescriber now when that came out that was like that was like turkey on the table time it was like cat among the pigeons it was you know everyone was like oh, you know there's a collective <laughs> sort of oh, Gasp. for about two yeah for about yeah. two years and then everyone calmed down and thought right how are we going to actually do this um and since then there's been a really sensible logical careful approach to the thing now the pace of it you could argue is too quick you could argue yeah. is too slow you could argue that the people running the implementation maybe have never experienced the job, so so there's difficulties there. There's all sorts of these sort of barriers that come into play, but I think the, the overall vision and direction of travel has been done as carefully and as well as it possibly could be, um, to the extent that after an you know initial move of pharmacists into GP practice, now actually, really encouragingly, there's um, there are independent prescribers in Scotland um, being trained specifically to work in community pharmacy, um, and I, I just think that is absolutely fabulous because community ph- I I go back to almost all my articles and all my sort of narrative comes back to the fact that the massive opportunity sits in community. Yeah, so that's that's sort of the model that uh, they're going for in Australia. So it sounds like you're almost like a resident or a concierge pharmacist working in a GP, well, in a GP's uh, location, whereas in Australia they they can be separate, and most of the time they are. So that's kind of where they're going. They want to have um, uh, these prescribing pharmacists work independent or in collaboration with a GP, uh, but not like separate like completely separate yeah. so so that would require in my opinion you know it, it's going to require some education some training and a tiered like sort of rolling it out in a way that the guild is suggesting with you know let's start with ocp so that you know when when a lady comes in they've got to get they start one and it's wrong so you go back to the gp so you can go back to the pharmacist so you go back to the G- so it's i remember my wife and i did it when we were younger it was just a mess whereas if you could just go to the pharmacy you know let's back it off try this one back it off try this one yeah, I mean, the, the the other aspect of this move to GP practice is you're asking me if I was starting again. Well, I would I would in Australia, I would probably get pharmacy PLC together and explain to them that when you work in general practice, um, I would say pharmacists are a welcome guest. Mm. And I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's their home. So I have strategic and political concerns about the long-term impact of that um, right. a much better approach in my view would be to um, basically do what we're doing in GP practice but do but do it in community 
Um, because I think if we lose in, in, in Australia, UK, America, wherever, I think if we lose the community pharmacy network, then we really lose what, what, it, what it means to be a pharmacist. And that's what the guild is for. That's what the guild is really trying to protect. They're really for community pharmacy. So they're, you know, they're really good in that aspect. I think um, what I think they're sort of, there's a shortcoming in their PR is really just not investigating publicly. And like they have investigated, like they've done the research into the potential precaution, the precautions that we're going to have to take. Um, what they're not doing is uh, sort of, you know sunlight disinfects so they're not sort of saying okay you know tony what well, let's let's investigate these um these problems that you're you're talking about instead of lighting our hair on fire and running around um and so that's that's kind of what this 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 meeting was about cool yeah yeah so um we're going to wrap it up there i'm going to leave a link to jonathan's article here and his website, I don't want to go over there. What's your website, mate? Pharmacyandpractice.scot. Pharmacyandpractice.scot. Check it out. It's a really good website. Um, lots of really cool articles and something that we should really pay attention to down under because, um, you know, they're sort of leading the way. And um, even though it's a very different picture, it's um, it's something that we can really learn from. The U.S. system, the in the CPAs that they've got here, the the UK and Canada too. I haven't opened that can of worms yet. <laughs> it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, yeah, it's it's been really interesting, and uh, yeah, I'm still I still think it's really cool how we can we can we can talk to people around the world, and uh, and 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 it's like speaking speaking to you as if you're in the same room. It's great. Yeah, I like it. Hey, thank you so much for your time, John. I gotta get going. Pleasure. See you, buddy. Cheers, mate.